Hello, and welcome to another White Horse Media presentation. White Horse Media presents Amazing Discoveries with international speaker and best-selling author Steve Wolberg. Our goal is to continue to produce life-changing and biblically-based presentations. We hope you enjoy this series. At the end of this CD, you'll receive more information on this ministry and how you can obtain some additional resources. In today's program, Steve will uncover the real truth about the Antichrist. Now, here's Steve. God is good, amen? amen. Praise the Lord. So good to see each of you here tonight. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 13. Tonight's subject is a shocking one. We're going to do the best we can with the Word of God to separate fact from fiction. The title is called The Real Truth about the Antichrist. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 will be our opening text in just a few moments. And let's do what we always do. We need to pray, so let's bow our heads and start out with prayer and ask the good Lord to shine upon us and bless us as we study His Holy Word. Dear Father in Heaven, dear God, thank You for, for so many people that are here tonight. Thank You that I have a chance to share Your Word with America and with many, many sincere seekers after Jesus Christ. And we pray tonight as we study the scriptures that your blessing will be upon us, that the power of the Holy Spirit will be here, and that you will help us to learn the truth from your word about the Antichrist. We ask these things in the name of the true Christ, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, are you ready? Are your seatbelts on? I hope so. Here we go. We've got a big subject. The real truth about the Antichrist. What you see on the screen is a photograph of today's front cover of Newsweek. If you go down to Albertsons or go into any market that sells time in Newsweek, you'll find this right there today. The focus is prophecy, Bible prophecy no less. And if you can see the subheading down there, it says, What the Bible says about the end of the world. I just picked this up. I was reading through it very anxiously to find out what the common views are about prophecy. And as I started reading, I was especially interested to read about what this particular article said about the subject of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is a hot subject these days. Lots of Christians are interested in trying to figure out what the Bible means when it talks about this mysterious Antichrist. Here you see a picture, and this is from the inside of that article, and it talks about what most people think when they perceive or think about the subject of the Antichrist. They think of somebody like this man, some mysterious individual that might be like a half-man, half-devil, the devil incarnate, some strange person, some charismatic individual that rises up, normally people think, out of Europe at the end of time and the whole world follows him. This is a common view, it's a popular view, and this is what most people think when they think about the Antichrist. Now, because millions of Christians today, and I'm included in this group, millions of Bible-believing Christians sense that we are getting closer to the final times, we're nearing the coming of Jesus, more and more people are looking around and they're trying to find, well, you know, where is this Antichrist? Their, their eyes are open and they're looking and they're wondering and they're guessing. And some people think, well, maybe it's this person. Some people think maybe it's, maybe it's that person. And some of the guesses are actually pretty wild. They really are. If you can look closely on this, on this slide, you'll see on the lower right-hand corner a picture of Mikhail Gorbachev. And there's actually a book that has recently been written about him. 
And the title of this book, it says, Gorbachev, is he the real Antichrist? Is the real Antichrist here? And some people are wondering, you know, Gorbachev has this mark on his head, and some people think, well, maybe that's the mark of the beast. Maybe he's the one predicted in the Bible. If you can look up on the top of the screen there, it mentions, it says, the ultimate deception, the Antichrist is Satan's, Satan's secret accomplice a powerful human being who will take control of the world before the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is what most people think of, and this is what this article reflects. The Antichrist is one man coming down near the end of time. A lot of people are guessing. Some people think it might even be Bill Gates. That's another popular view. Now, this may surprise you, but if you look on the internet and type in the word Antichrist, you will inevitably be directed to this man whom some people even think that he is the Antichrist. This is a photograph of David Hasselhoff, the star of Baywatch. Believe it or not, some people wonder whether David could be the Antichrist of Bible prophecy. Let's open up to Revelation chapter 13 and I'll show you how this prophecy is interpreted by some people today. Revelation chapter 13, let's look at verse 1. Revelation 13.1, the Bible says, I stood upon the sand of the sea and I saw a beast. So here's a beast coming out of the sea. And some people say, look, that's, that's a perfect description of David. He's coming right out of the Pacific Ocean as the lifeguard on Baywatch. That's what people think. And then it says, he has seven heads and ten horns. And some people say, you can read about it on the internet. Yes, seven heads. That represents the seven television shows that David has starred in. And the ten horns, those represent, that represents his some of his 10 most popular songs. He's a famous European songwriter. And people are applying this to the prophecy about the beast and the Antichrist. Now, of course, most people actually laugh about this, but there are other individuals that people are thinking more seriously about. Now, here's a photograph of Prince Charles of Wales. Have you heard about this one? Some people think Charles might be the Antichrist. There's a Christian by the name of Tim, Tim Cohen, and he has written a book called The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea. And in that book, he gives his reasons why he thinks, yes, it's Charles. Charles really must be the Antichrist. Now, here's a couple of, here's a photograph of two movies. And these are very popular movies. And now we're getting much more serious here. We're not talking about David. We're not talking about Prince Charles or Bill Gates or Mikhail Gorbachev. But these movies have been produced recently by very sincere, dedicated Christians. And these movies are being watched by Christian young people all over the country right now. And one of them is called Apocalypse. The other one is called Revelation. And these movies depict what the producers envision when they think about the end times and especially when they think about the Antichrist. In both of these movies, there's one particular man and his name is Franco Masaluso. Franco Masaluso rises up on the scene. According to this fictitious production, he represents what the Antichrist might be like. He rises to power during the tribulation. He comes out of Europe. He's charismatic, and the whole world eventually follows him. Both of these movies reveal today's popular understanding that is understood and believed sincerely by Christians all over this country. And the basic view is this, that the Antichrist of the Bible refers to one mysterious individual who will show up at the very end of time and the whole world will eventually follow him. 
There's another movie, I'm, I imagine most of you have heard of it, it's called The Omega Code. The Omega Code is probably the most professionally produced film ever in the history of Christianity. And this film also lines up with this view, this popular view, that the Antichrist is one man will who will come at the end of the world. Now tonight what we're going to do is we are going to open our Bibles and we're going to try to find out what does the Word of God actually say about this subject. This is very important, isn't it? It's extremely important that we find out what the Word, what the truth, what the Scripture actually says about this subject. Now let me just review a little bit from what we studied in our last meeting. In our last meeting we talked about Daniel chapter 7 and then we talked about Revelation chapter 13 and we showed the parallels between both chapters. In Daniel 7 the Bible talks about four beasts and then this horn would come out of the head of the fourth beast. This would be a, a little horn. And we read about how, and here's these different points over here on, on my left, how this little horn would come out of the fourth beast. He would have eyes like a man. He would have a mouth speaking great things. He would make war on the saints and he would rule for a certain amount of time. That's what the Bible says in Daniel 7. And then we read in our last meeting also that Revelation 13 talks about this beast. And this beast would rise up out of the sea. And this beast would, al would also have a mouth speaking great things. This beast would also make war against the saints and overcome them. And this beast would also rule for the same amount of time that the little horn ruled in Daniel chapter 7. How many of you were here in our last meeting when we studied about this? Okay, just about all of you were great. Now when we studied that, it became very clear that the little horn in Daniel 7 and the beast of Revelation 13, these two talk are basically talking about the same thing. And just about all Bible scholars agree with this. However they interpret this prophecy, almost everybody believes the horn and the beast are talking about the same thing. Now here's a key point. In Daniel 7 verse 8, as we studied in our last meeting, the Bible says that this little horn would have eyes like the eyes of a man. Now it doesn't say he would only be a man, but it said he would have eyes like a man. Now it's because of that phrase that many people have come to conclude that it must be one individual coming at the end of time. And yet the text doesn't actually say that. It doesn't say that he would be a man. It said he would have, this horn would have eyes like the eyes of a man. Now in our last meeting, as we studied Daniel 7 and Revelation 13, putting the pieces together, what did we discover? What amazing discovery did we make about what in the Bible a beast actually represents? Did we find that a beast represents a computer? Did we find that a beast represents one man? What did we find? That's correct. I heard it over here. We found out, according to Daniel 7, verse 23, which is the chapter that perfectly parallels Revelation 13, they go together like a lock and a key, we found, as the scripture says right here on the screen, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. So a beast in prophecy represents a kingdom or a great nation. It does not, according to scripture, represent only one man. This is a very, very important truth of the Bible. There is a lot more to this whole subject of the Antichrist than what most people think when they're looking around trying to find out who it could be, who this mysterious half-man, half-devil is, who's supposed to show up at the end of time. Let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, and let's take a closer look at what the Bible actually says. That's on page 1212. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, page 1212 in your seminar Bibles. 
And let's start with the 18th verse. Now we're going to do something absolutely shocking. We're going to make an amazing discovery as we actually take a look at the solid facts. And that's what a lot of people aren't doing these days enough. They're not really looking at the Word. Let's find out what the Bible actually says. 1 John chapter 2, let's look at the 18th verse. The inspired Word of God says, Little children, this is John writing 2,000 years ago, Little children, it is the last time. As you have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Then John says, even, and what's that next word? That's right. John says in the Holy Bible, even now, even when? Even now, John says, are there, and what's that next word? Many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now, it may surprise you to know that there's only one Bible writer who ever used that word antichrist. Only one, and it's John. And he used it four times in this book, and he used it one time in his second book that comes right after 1 John. He's the only one that used it five times. And this is the first time in the New Testament that that word ever appears. It's right here. And as you look at it carefully, John says, you have heard that Antichrist shall come. And then he says, even now are there many Antichrists. Whereby, because of this, John says, we know that we are now living in the last time. When people think of Antichrist, they think of some, someone who's coming only at the end of time. That's not what the Bible says. John said, even now, 2,000 years ago. When people think of Antichrist, they think of only one man coming at the end of time. Half man, half devil. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says right there, even now are there many antichrists, with an S on the end of it, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now notice verse 19. Verse 19 is a truly shocking, shocking text. Verse 19, John says, they, referring to these many antichrists, they went out from, and what's that next word? He says, from us. Now that word us, John is referring to himself as a Christian leader and to others who claim to be leaders in the early Christian church. And when John says they, he's talking about these many antichrists that were right there. He said they went out from us, from within the inner circle of those who claim to be leaders in the early Christian church. That's what, that's what John is saying here. In other words, according to this passage, as John first introduces the whole idea of the Antichrist, at the beginning of, the, of uh, this book, 1 John chapter 2, what he's doing is he's revealing that this word, this concept, applies to a development that comes out from within the heart of Christianity. That's what he says. They, these many Antichrists, went out from us. In other words, according to John, antichrists come out from within the church, the Christian church. That's what he says. Now, here's another passage where the Apostle Paul basically says the same thing. This is from 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. I'll just quote it here. It's on the screen. Paul is talking about a similar development, and he says, such are false apostles, and they transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. There were people back then that claimed to be apostles of Jesus Christ, but they were actually false apostles. It was a deception that came out from within the Christian church. Now, let's go back to 1 John. 
1 John chapter 2, let's take a look at verse 22. 1 John 2, 22. Actually, we can go back to verse 21. I like this verse, don't want to skip this. Verse 21, John says, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the what? Is of the truth. So John is giving us the truth, the straight truth, and he says no lie is of the truth. Now, when we study the subject of the Antichrist and the beast and many other Bible topics, we have to discern between what is a lie and what is the truth. Amen? Now, how do we know that? How do we know what a lie is and what is the truth? How do you know whether I'm telling you a lie or the truth or some movie's telling you a lie or, or the truth or some book, some author, some seminar, some tape, some video? How do you know? There's only one way to know. And that is, that's right, the only way to know is by studying the Bible for yourselves. Studying the Word for yourselves and seeing what the Word says the truth is. That's the only way that we can find out. Now, in verse 22, the next verse, John tells us more about what the truth is. Verse 22, he says, Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, the Christ. He is what? He is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Now here's the third time John uses the word Antichrist, and he says that whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Now this verse tells us that Antichrist denies the Father and the Son. Now when John talks about the Father, who's he talking about? He's talking about God our Father. And when he's talking about the Son, he's talking about Jesus Christ himself. Now, here's a passage on the screen, John 14, verse 6, where Jesus talks about himself, his ministry, his relationship to the Father, and how we are saved. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And then he says, no man comes to, comes to the Father, who is who? Who is the Father? The Father is God, but, Jesus says, by me. In other words, the only way that we can get to the one Father is through the one Son who is Jesus Christ. And we can go directly to the Father through Jesus. That's the truth of the Bible. Now, Scripture says Antichrist is going to deny the Father, and he's going to, not, to deny the Son, that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody gets to the Father except only through him. If someone leads us away from Jesus being the only way to the Father, then that is a development of Antichrist. Anything that is not pointing us to Jesus Christ is ultimately Antichrist. Do you, do you understand that? The only way to understand Antichrist is to understand Jesus Christ. That's the only way, the true way, to understand the true prophecy that is here revealed in the Bible. Now, if you go down to verse 26, 1 John 2, verse 26. Verse 26, John continues, and he says, These things have I written unto, and who's he writing to here? John says, I've written unto you, and who, are, who is the you? It's the church, it's Christians. He says, these things have I written unto you concerning them, and who's the them? That's these many antichrists who deny the Father and the Son, to them, concerning them that seduce you. So according to this passage, who is antichrist trying to deceive? The church, it's Christians, that's right. The antichrist is a development within Christianity that is trying to lead Christians away from Jesus Christ. 
That's what this passage is telling us. When you just read it, study it carefully, that's exactly what the Lord is telling us. And God is giving a warning here to Christians about Antichrist. Now, let's go to chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, let's take a look at verse 3. 1 John 4, 3. I hope I don't give anybody a heart attack tonight. <laughs> but we've got to take a look at these things and really study them straight as they are. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, the Bible says, Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Now, what does this mean? When John says, Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, this is the spirit of Antichrist. Now, what does it mean, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Well, the Bible says that he is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He has come in the flesh, which means he has become a human being. He's fully human, just like we are. He's a real human being with two eyes, a nose, and a mouth. Jesus Christ has come as close to us as anyone can possibly be. Therefore, if we want to get to the Father, we don't need to go through anybody else. We can go directly through Christ who has come in the flesh, who's identified with us as fully as he could possibly identify with us. So we can come right to the Father through our Savior who is in human form. He is actually the only mediator between God and men. Here's a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, that tells us that. The Bible says there is one God and there is one mediator. How many are up there? One mediator between God and men, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. These two verses are very important. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Nobody comes to the Father in heaven except through Christ. He has come in the flesh. He's a human being just like us. Therefore, we don't need any other mediators. There's only one mediator between God and men, and it's Jesus. He loves us. He came in the flesh. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He went to heaven, and we can come directly to our Heavenly Father through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that Bible truth? Is that solid Bible truth? Now, Antichrist is going to deny this. Antichrist doesn't want us to come directly to the Father through the Son. And Antichrist is going to be working in a very, very subtle way. Now, notice, keep reading in verse 3. Verse 3 says, Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that... And what's that next word there? This is that spirit... That's right. This is that spirit of Antichrist. So Antichrist is more than just one man, but Antichrist actually involves even a spirit of Antichrist that would lead us away from Jesus Christ. This is that spirit of Antichrist, and John says, whereof you have heard that it should come. He says, you heard that it was coming. H have you heard that it's coming? I think we've all heard it's coming, but then John here says, even when, even now, already is it in the world. In other words, Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist is here right now. It's in the world. It's all around the world, and it is working subtly, mysteriously, deceptively, even through people on the inside who come out from within the church and the purpose of the spirit of Antichrist is to lead us away 
from simple, pure, direct faith in Jesus Christ alone as our personal Savior. That's the truth of the Bible, and the Antichrist is trying to lead people away from Jesus. And it's a subtle thing. It's a subtle thing. You know, Satan, the devil doesn't really just hang out in a bar, does he? If you were the devil and you really wanted to pull something big over the world, where would you go? You wouldn't just hang out in a bar, where would you go? You'd go to church, wouldn't you? And you'd probably get right behind the pulpit and you'd preach a sermon. That's what the devil's up to. That's the subtleties of the enemy. Satan is much more subtle than most people give him credit for. He is brilliant, and he is behind lots of different theories and ideas and philosophies that lead people away from the simple truth of the Bible and simple faith in Jesus Christ. He's working in ways that are, that are very, very subtle. Now, let's go down. Notice we just read verse 3 where John says, Even now, already, the spirit of Antichrist is in the world. Now, if you go down to verse 4, notice what he says. Verse 4, John says, You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. Now, who's the them? The them is all these antichrists. And John says, You, little children, and little children, this doesn't mean he's talking about people who are just, you know, four and five years old, little tiny kids. He's talking about Christians who have a humble attitude, who receive God's word humbly, and who trust in him, who trust in the Father through Jesus Christ. And if we do that, we're God's little children who believe in the Lord Jesus, and that's the way to overcome the devil. He says in verse 4, you are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. You've overcome these antichrists because greater is he, he that is inside of you, than he that is in the world. That spirit of antichrist that even now is already in the world. So based upon this passage, who is it, think about this seriously, based upon the Bible, who is it that is supposed to overcome antichrist? It's Christians in the name and by the power of Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of people today are thinking that Christians today have nothing to do with Antichrist. They think Antichrist is only coming way down at the end, and, and we today, present believers, are not involved with Antichrist at all. Friends, that's not true. That's a deception. That's a lie that comes straight from the wrong side. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are the only ones that can overcome Antichrist, and we need to be doing that. And when do we need to be doing it? Right now. It's the best time because the spirit of Antichrist is already here. Okay, let's go to our next text. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, page 1178. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, page 1178. Oh, this subject, this subject just stirs my soul. It really does. When I watch these movies and I hear about these different philosophies and read Newsweek. I read it today. I thought to myself, oh God, give me the power to preach, to preach the truth. Okay, let's take a look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, this is probably the greatest chapter in the Bible where Paul talks about the Antichrist. Although he doesn't use the word, he certainly is talking about it, and this will become very clear. 2 Thessalonians 2, let's start with verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 4. In verse 1, Paul says, Now, we beseech you, brethren. He's writing to Christians. Look at this very carefully. We beseech you by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together to him. 
So Paul's talking about believers, and he says, I urge you, by the coming of Jesus and by our gathering together to him, when Jesus comes, we're going to be gathered to the Lord. Amen? And that's what he's talking about here. When Jesus comes, he's going to gather us. Now, in verse 2, Paul says that you be not soon shaken in mind. Don't be shaken up by false theories or be troubled, neither by spirit, some spirit of Antichrist, nor by word, some false word, nor by letter, some letter somebody might write, as from us. In other words, people that were counterfeiting the ministry of Paul or the true apostleship. Paul says, don't be messed up by these people who were saying that the day of Christ is at hand right there in the first century. Evidently, some people back then were saying Jesus is about to come right in the first century. And Paul's saying, don't be shaken up by, by these different false teachings. In verse 3, he tells us something has to happen first. Verse 3, Paul says, let no man, no man deceive. And who's he writing to? He's writing to Christians. Let no man deceive you, you, by any means. The devil has lots of different means. If he can't deceive people in one way, you know, he tries another way. He's got a lot of tricks in his bag. If one trick doesn't work, he'll try another trick. And Paul is warning Christians, specifically Christians, saying don't let the devil deceive you by any one of these many different means and deceptions that he might come up with. So the context here is a warning to believers. Now then he goes on and Paul says, for that day, referring to the day when Jesus will come, he says, that day shall not come. That day when Jesus returns, he says, that day will not come, except there come a falling away first, 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 very important word, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And that's the Antichrist. So here Paul is telling us very plainly, he says, the day when Jesus will come to gather us and take us to glory, he said, that day is not going to come until the falling away takes place first. And the man, that man of sin, is revealed. Now, the Greek word for falling away here is apostasia. That's the Greek word, apostasia, which means a falling away from the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth of the Bible. That's what he's telling us here. And this will happen first before the Lord comes to gather us. Now, notice, as you keep reading in verse 3, he says, the result of this falling away from the truth will result... As the falling away takes place on the one side, the man of sin comes up on the other side. Did you see that? Falling away first, and the man of sin is revealed. Now, let's examine this phrase. Paul says, that man. Now, first of all, we've already talked about the word man. We've talked about Jesus. How many mediators are up there? One. And who is that mediator? Jesus Christ. And the Bible says it's the what? The man. The man, Christ Jesus, is our mediator. Now, what's, what's happening here is we have a battle between the man and that man, that man of sin, who is the Antichrist. Now, when Paul says, he doesn't say the man of sin, he says that man. The King James says that man. Now, when he says that man, he's basically saying, you know, that one over there that you've already been reading about, that, that one over there. Now, when he says that man, all of the Protestants in the 1500s and 1600s, they all understood this to refer to point number six over here on the board, that that man of sin was that little horn who would have eyes like the eyes of a man. Paul's phrase here, that man, all the Protestants in the 1500s understood it to be that man, that horn that would have eyes like a man. 
That's the way they understood this, this prophecy. Tonight when you leave, we're going to give you a study guide that's called The Fathers of the Mainline Churches Testify. And this has quotes from Martin Luther, who founded the Lutheran Church, John Calvin, Presbyterian Church, John Knox, Roger William, who was a famous Baptist pastor and colonial American, Thomas Cranmer from the Church of England, and John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church. And these are historical quotations, how they all believed that that man of sin was the same little horn that had eyes like a man that lined up perfectly with what we studied in our last meeting as we studied the beast in the New World Order. Now here's a quotation on the screen from Matthew Henry. Who is Matthew Henry? Matthew Henry was an ancient Puritan many years ago, and he wrote one of the most famous Bible commentaries in the whole Christian world. If you go to pastor's libraries all over the country from many different churches, you will read commentaries from Matthew Henry. Now Matthew Henry has commented on 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, his notes on verse 3, this is what he said. Quote, the apostle, referring to Paul, speaks of some very great apostasy. And let us observe that no sooner was Christianity planted in the world that there began to be a defection, where? A defection in the Christian church. He's commenting upon verse 3, and he says there's a falling away, and this is taking place inside the Christian, the Christian church. Now, notice, back in verse 3, Paul calls this man of sin, he calls him the son of perdition. Now, this phrase is a key phrase, the son of perdition. This phrase is a phrase that Jesus Christ used in John 17, verse 12. When Jesus prayed about his disciples, he said, Father, I haven't lost any of them except for one, and that one is the son of perdition. And who was he referring to? He was referring to Judas, right, Judas. And so when Paul refers to the Antichrist, that man of sin, as someone that would be the son of perdition, like Judas, what he's basically saying is that the characteristics of this Antichrist, it's going to be some development like Judas from within the Christian church, claiming to be a true apostle of Jesus, but actually leading away from Christ. And that's what Judas did. He claimed to be a true apostle of Christ. He was an apostle, but he, he had a falling away, didn't he? And eventually he kissed the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he betrayed Jesus Christ betrayal with a kiss. Now let's keep reading. This is what Antichrist is going to be like, like Judas. If you go down to verse 4, the Bible says that Antichrist would eventually oppose and he would exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he, as God, would sit in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Now let's talk about this. The Bible says this this Antichrist, basically what's happening here is in Revelation, it's called the beast. In John 7, or Daniel 7, it's called the little horn. And in 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul calls it that man of sin, referring to the horn that had eyes like a man. They're all referring to the same thing. The little horn, that man of sin, and the beast of Revelation 13 are all referring to the same thing. Now in this passage, it says that he is going to sit inside the temple of God. Now what is this talking about? He would sit inside the temple. What does this mean? What is the temple of God? Now Paul, Paul wrote this and we need to let Paul define his terms. That word for temple there in the Greek, you can look this up in the concordance, the word is naos. It's a Greek word, naos. The temple, the temple of God, God's temple. Now what is the temple of God in the New Testament? I'll show you a scripture on this, and you can look this up later. We just don't have time to, to read it, but it's right there. It's in the Bible. It's very clear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul is writing to the church of God, God's church. 
that was in Corinth. And then in chapter 3, verse 16, he says to believers, he says, you are the temple of God. And guess what Greek word Paul uses in 1 Corinthians? He uses the word naos. So when 2 Thess Thessalonians says the Antichrist is going to sit inside the temple of God, and Paul says you are the temple of God using the same word, what's he talking about? He's talking about Antichrist sitting and coming right inside the heart of the church. The heart of the church. Same thing that 1 John chapter 2 says, that the Antichrist went out from us. Same idea. Paul and John are clearly agreeing with each other in their understanding. Now, here's another statement from Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry wrote in his commentary, his notes on 1st Thess or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, the Antichrist here mentioned is some usurper of God's authority, where? In the church. That's where Antichrist comes in the church. And that's the way Matthew Henry understood this prophecy. And all the Protestants of the 1500s, the Baptists, the Methodists, the Lutherans, the Presbyterians, for 300 years, and I can document this, they all believed that 2 Thessalonians 2 was talking about the same historical power lining up with Daniel 7 that would come right into the heart of Christianity. It's very, very clear when you study this in history. Now, how many of you have heard the idea that the, the Antichrist, this one man coming only at the end of time, this mysterious half-man, half-devil, is, is going to walk inside a literal building, the temple, and he's going to sit down and he's going to say, I'm God. How many of you have ever heard that idea? Ever heard that idea? Okay, this is a very popular view, and it's based upon this passage. But when you really study this verse carefully, that's not exactly what it says. Let's look at it carefully. It says that this Antichrist would oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he, as God, notice it says, as God, would sit in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Now, is there a difference between someone saying, walking into a temple somewhere and saying, I am God, is there a difference between that and this Antichrist sitting in the temple of God as God? showing himself that he is God. Is there a difference between saying I'm God and showing yourself to be God and sitting as God? Think about it carefully. There is a big difference. There's a subtle but very big difference. The Bible does not say that this man will walk into the temple, sit down, and say I'm God. It doesn't say that at all. Now when the Bible says he's going to sit, notice the the word there, sit. This doesn't mean a man's going to walk into a temple, sit down in a seat, and say, I'm God. Everybody, follow me. That wouldn't be very subtle at all anyway. That's not what the Bible says. This word, sit, doesn't mean sit down. It means sit in a position of authority. Like when delegates come to a certain meeting, and the question is asked, how many delegates are seated today? Do we have a quorum? This doesn't mean they're all sitting down but it means that they are seated in office, in official position. That's what the word seated means. The Bible says Jesus Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he's been seated there for the last 2,000 years. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus has been sitting down for 2,000 years and he can't ever get up. Or he's not seated, uh, sitting. See what I mean? When the Bible says he is seated at the right hand of the Father, basically what it means is that Jesus Christ, as our mediator, who's come in the flesh, 
who is the way and the truth and the life, the only mediator between the Father and men, he is now sitting up in heaven at the right hand of God in the position of supreme and infallible authority for his church. That's what the Bible says. That's what it means, that he's sitting in authority. He's the almighty savior. But what the Bible is telling us is that that man of sin, this counterfeit development, as we talked about opening night, remember that the beast would counterfeit the work of Jesus Christ? We talked about that the first night. Basically what the prophecy is saying is that man of sin is going to counterfeit the work of Jesus. He's going to sit in authority, apparently infallible authority, within the heart of the Christian church, showing himself by his actions that he is just about God himself and leading people away from the truth about Jesus Christ, denying the Father and the Son. That's what this prophecy is really talking about. He would sit as God. Now, as I make the application, which I've, I did this in our last meeting and I'm about to do it again, um, I don't know how to say this any more sincerely than, than I can, and that is that I'm not trying, honestly I'm not, in all of these presentations to hurt people or offend people. Uh, I'm not judging individuals, I'm talking about a system, but I do believe that when the Bible says it, we need to study it and we need to see it as it is. We need to know the truth of the Word of God. Amen? And when the Bible makes you know, all these different points, there comes a time when we have to apply these points and understand what this prophecy is actually saying. And that's what we're going to do right now. And again, I wouldn't do it if it wasn't in the Bible, but it's here. And so we need, we need to make the application. So here we go. At this moment right now as I speak, the leader of the Church of Rome. Now, when I mention the leader, I'm, I'm actually talking, referring to his office as part of a system, okay? I'm not actually, you know, talking about him as a man, as a person. I'm not trying to judge him as an individual. I think the prophecy is talking about, about a system and an application of an individual with a certain amount of authority as part of this system sitting in office. And it really, it's a fact that the the leader of the Church of Rome right now sits in a position of supreme, infallible authority right within the heart of the, of the Christian Church. And he, in the position of that authority, defines and actually has the power, according to the system, to enforce doctrines and beliefs which actually, really, when you study them out, they're contrary to the truth of the Bible, to the truth of Jesus Christ. And let me just mention a few of them. The Bible says, as we already read, that there's only one mediator up there, and it's Jesus Christ. But it is being defined in the church before millions, in fact, a billion people. That instead of only one mediator, there are many mediators that we have to go through in order to get to God. And that's contrary, contrary to the Bible. Instead of it being only the man, Christ Jesus, that man, which is this system, has defined that it's not just the man, but it's actually a woman. It's the Virgin Mary. And people around the world are sincerely and honestly seeking to get to Jesus through his mother. But really, there's nothing in the New Testament at all about this. Really, there's nothing. And we can go directly to our Father, directly, 
through Jesus Christ. Instead of forgiveness, directly through Christ alone, what is being taught and mandated with infallible authority is that forgiveness comes only through the priests, not directly through Jesus Christ. And then there are other doctrines, such as the doctrine of purgatory and many others. And when you look at these doctrines, salvation and forgiveness through the priests, going through many mediators, going through Jesus' mother, when you really study and think about this, what's happening here is all of these different doctrines are ultimately, subtly, deceptively, although sincerely, leading men, women, and children all around the world away from the simple faith of little children through direct access to Jesus Christ alone, going directly to the Father through Christ. This is being denied. It's being denied by this, by this system. And according to the Bible, the word antichrist means against Christ, but it also means in the place of Christ. It really has to do with anything, anything that leads us away. Just as Paul says, there would be, there'd be a falling away. Anything that leads us away from simple childlike faith in Jesus Christ, in his love, as our mediator, going through him alone to get to the Father. Anything that leads us away from that simple faith in Jesus Christ alone, that is antichrist. And that is motivated by the spirit of antichrist. And we're in a battle between Jesus Christ and Antichrist, between the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Antichrist. And that battle is going on right now, right inside the church. And it's Christians that need to overcome the spirit of Antichrist. That's the truth. And, and I, I wanna say this publicly, that I believe with all my heart that there are sincere, godly people inside this church, inside the Church of Rome, around the world, that love Jesus, and a whole lot of them do have the spirit of Jesus Christ in their hearts. They really do. They honestly do. And yet there's a battle going on right inside this church, even in this church, between the spirit of Jesus Christ, which is leading to Christ, and the spirit of Antichrist, which is leading all these different directions away from Christ. And it's not just this church, is it? It's all churches, isn't it? There's a battle in all churches between the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Antichrist and how much we need the spirit of Jesus Christ. Let me go back to that article I mentioned. Front cover of Newsweek today. If you go to the inside article, here's a statement on page, 90, um, page 72. You might want to go to Albertsons tonight or go somewhere and pick up this article. And you can read it right there. It's right there. Honestly, I'm telling you the truth. Page 72 says, Martin Luther was the first to identify the papacy as such with the Antichrist. Now that statement actually is not fully true because Martin Luther was not the first. There were many others. There were the Waldenses, the Albigenses. There were other people prior to Luther who taught the same thing, but Luther was one of the major ones. Identifying the papacy as such with the Antichrist. And then it says this was a view that was to become dogma to all Protestant churches. That's a shocking statement that's in today's issue of Newsweek. Right there, page 72. That this doctrine, all these points we're looking at over here on the board, what I'm teaching you right now about the little horn, that man of sin, the first beast of Revelation, this was Protestant doctrine. Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, for 300 years. They all believed this. Everybody believed this. They said, of course we know Second Thessalonians. Of course he'd come right into the temple of God, right into the church. There's no question. Who would even doubt that? 
But what has happened right now is through the subtleties of the devil, the devil has come right into the church and he's brought out a whole new set of understanding of what's supposed to happen in the end time. And on the top of this page, and this actually, this quote is on the same page as this picture. There's that picture of this supposed antichrist, this one man, half man, half devil. And that quote up there on the top says he would be the ultimate deceiver. The antichrist is Satan's, Satan's secret accomplice, a powerful human being who would take control of the world before the second coming. Now what has happened is, if you look at the bottom quote, that's what Protestants used to believe. If you look at the top quote, that's what they believe right now. That's what they're making movies about. That's what's uh, all over the world. There's been a, sh a shift, a historical shift has taken place. And more people are looking these days for some man that they think he's going to be the ultimate deceiver at the end of time. And is it possible, as it says right up there, the ultimate deception, do you see that? Is it possible that this whole idea that the Antichrist is just one man, this half-man, half-beast coming at the end? Is it possible that this whole idea is part of the ultimate deception? Right from the devil, leading away from the truth of the Bible, from the historical Protestant view that has been taught, that has been died for, and that is really solid, solid based upon the study of the Word. It's irrefutable when you really study it carefully. Now let's go to the book of Revelation. We've got a little more to do tonight. Let's go to Revelation chapter 13. Let's talk about the number 666. We have one more shockwave before this meeting is over. Sometimes I feel, you know, I'm sorry. I hate to do this to you, but we've just got to look at this. We really do. We've got to look at what the Bible says. God wants our eyes to be opened, amen, to see the truth. Okay, Revelation chapter 15. I'm sorry, chapter 13, verse 18. Revelation 13, verse 18. The Bible says, here is, and what's that next word? Wisdom. God give us wisdom. Let him that has understanding, let him count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number is 603 score and 6, which comes out to 666. So first of all, the Bible says we need wisdom, we need understanding, and the Bible also says that we have to count the number. Did you see that? We have to count the number in order to get to 666. We're not going to read 666 anywhere. We've got to count it in order to get to it. Now let's go to chapter 15, Revelation 15, verse 2. Revelation 15, verse 2. The scripture says, I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire, and then that had gotten the victory over the beast, that's one thing, over his image, that's another thing, over his mark, that's another thing. We'll talk about the mark of the beast two weeks from Friday night. We have a whole meeting on this. His mark, which is another thing, and over the number of his name. Do you see that? And the number is 666, isn't it? So here we have the beast, the image, the mark, and the number. So based upon this text, is the mark the same as the number? No. There's a beast, there's an image, and we'll talk about the image later. There's a mark, and there's a number of his name. Mark is one thing, number is something else. How many of you have heard the idea that 666 is the mark of the beast? Friends, I see a lot of hands. That's not the truth. 666 is not the mark of the beast. 666 is the number of the beast. And this phrase says, actually in verse 2, it says, it is the number of his name. 
and you have to count it to get the number of his name. Now, what is this talking about? Let me share with you the way Protestants have understood this for a long, long time. There is a certain hat that is placed upon the head of the leader of the Church of Rome when he's coronated into office. It's called a papal tiara. Here's a statement from a, a magazine of the Church of Rome called Our Sunday Visitor, April 18, 1915. And the question is, what are the letters on the Pope's crown and what do they signify? The letters on the Pope's crown are these, Vicarious Philae D, which is Latin for Vicar of the Son of God. There's a phrase on the base of the crown. It's in Latin, vicarious philae di, which means vicar of the Son of God, which means supposedly that this individual is the vicar or the representative of Jesus Christ. It's in Latin. Now, when you add up, when you count the Roman numeral value of every one of those letters, vicarious philae di, V is five, going down, etc. vicarious comes to 112. Eli comes to 53, DI comes to 501. And if you count up the letters of the number of his name and you add them all up, guess what number you get to? You get to the number 666. There was supposed to be somebody over there that was going to put this strip on the board. Maybe somebody can just, would you mind doing me a favor and grab that right there on the bottom and just stick that on that tower of truth there. Appreciate that. Point number 12. The Bible says, count the number, and the number is 666. Now, notice it says we have to count it. The Bible says it's the number of his name. We look at the name at the bottom of the tiara, saying he is the vicar of the Son of God, and we count the Roman numeral value, and we get to the number 666. And this is the way Protestants have understood this for a long, long time. And basically what that point does, along with all the other points, it just puts all the pieces together, and it's just another evidence that we're on the right track that this system that we're studying about in Bible prophecy is truly the system that is marked out in the Bible. Uh, if you can't take all the notes on that, this is in the study guide that we gave you in our last meeting. The bottom line is, friends, tonight there is no one man, some mysterious half-man, half-devil that is supposed to come at the end of time who is the Antichrist. There is nobody like that. It certainly isn't David Hasselhoff, it certainly isn't Prince Charles. It's not this mysterious Franco Masoluso that's described in these movies. It's not this individual described in the Omega Code. It's not Bill Gates. It's not Gorbachev. There is no one man anywhere that will ever come at the end of time who will fulfill the prophecy as the one individual. This whole idea is a fiction. People can make movies about it. They can you know, be fascinating when you eat a lot of popcorn and watch these movies. They're very interesting, but this is really not it's not the truth of the Bible. It's fantasy. It's fantasy. It's pure delusion. It's not really the truth of Scripture. Truth is, Antichrist is here now, and it has been here for a long, long time. John said 2,000 years ago, even now, it's already here. And it's much bigger than one man. It's a whole system, and even so, beyond that, the Bible says there is a spirit of Antichrist. A spirit of Antichrist, and there's a battle going on inside the Church of Rome and inside Protestant churches, and inside churches all around the world, the battle between the spirit of Jesus Christ that leads to Christ alone and, is, and the spirit of Antichrist that leads away from Jesus. That's the battle that we're all in, and we must face this. We must deal with this, and we need to direct people by the grace of God to the Word of God and to Jesus Christ alone as our Savior. Amen? John 14, verse 6. This is our last text tonight. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man comes to the Father, referring to God, but 
by me. Only through Jesus Christ can we go to the Father. Only through Jesus do we have salvation. And the whole purpose of prophecy is to help us to understand the devil's deceptions, which are designed to lead us away from Jesus. God gave us this, we can come back to Jesus and have simple faith in Jesus, in his love, in his salvation, and we can be saved by the grace of God. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast with Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel message with the world. You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting broadcasts just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, Go to whitehorsemedia.com or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at Whitehorse7 or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve Wolberg. That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media, P.O. Box 130, Priest River, Idaho, 83856. Thanks for your support, and may God richly bless your day.